This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We're the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, is this rock bottom? Because it feels a little bit like rock bottom. The 49ers defense did not allow a touchdown this week, and yet the team managed to lose by eight points. And with me this week, to tell us about the most inopportune time he's had to drop a deuce, it's David Newman. Uh, you know, I don't have a great example off the top of my head. Um, I'm not going to lie, my body and I usually work pretty well together on this front. And not how I used to remember. So like back back when I when I was playing army, right back in those days, we would like go out into the field for for a weekend or something like that for for drill, right? And I'm like out in the middle of nowhere, and it's like I have to sh- shit in a hole or something like that. My body would just be like, you know what? We're just gonna hold off until you get back to civilization. You got a toilet, and and we just won't do this thing right now. Um, you didn't so lay you didn't lay cable out in the field. No, nah, you weren't a communication specialist. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was not. We've got a good working relationship when it comes to uh, the old deuce dropping. I feel like you've not lived until you've gotten to that edge where it's a little dicey, where maybe you ate adventurously and had the bubble guts and were not anywhere near uh, a toilet or you're out at a festival and you're like, oh man, I don't know. I kind of have to go, but it's day three of a three-day festival it's 90 <laughs> degrees outside and there's like i don't know lines for these porta potties that i don't want to know what's happening in here like yeah. these are the kinds of the things that you have to think about uh when when you live a little bit of life david i feel like you need to get out more i mean that's probably a fair assessment so this is that that is one place where i just you know th- there's th- music festivals and my wife and i pre pre-baby and pre-pandemic really love to go to music festivals we would go to acl every year and it was always like all right Time your meals so that you don't have to poop while you're at the festival. Like this, th- this is part of the grand strategy here. See, that wouldn't you're there. Be, I, I don't think that would be an issue for me either because like, look, not to get too much into my pooping <laughs> habits here. Like this is a, a hell of a start to this podcast, but like, look, pretty regular. You know, it happens in the morning after a cup of coffee and, and then I'm ready to roll. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's look. I, I wasn't expecting the entire podcast to be about poop. Just the part where we were talking about the Niners game, but I guess we're going to do just all about, all about poop. Um, what cause honestly that about? Lamar game, all the puns were just incredible. My, I, I, 
I, I can't be the only person who came up with the the moniker for the game, uh, the one where Lamar has the runs uh, because he ran for two touchdowns. I know that that's probably co-created by Twitterverse, but God, it was I just I loved it. I felt so good about that pun <laughs> last felt, night. Felt it was good awesome. about that one. Really did. Um, But okay, the Washington football team. Uh, I feel like they got a little bit of revenge for the Bosa slide last year. Last year, it was the Niners who came in to Washington with a defensive line that was powered by a high-profile rookie, Nick Bosa, and it was an ugly game. It was a hard-fought game, and it was a game where Nick Bosa ends up sliding chest-first into the hearts and minds of America. And now I feel like Washington got a little bit of their revenge because their defensive line dominated in a predictably bad matchup for the 49ers and they did so both in the pass game and in the run game and we'll talk about a little bit of each but I mean man it just I know Chase Young is getting a lot of the publicity but I wanted to start with Jonathan Allen because Jonathan Allen may need to get a paternity test just to be sure he's not Lincoln Tomlinson's daddy <laughs> uh it, it it wasn't great for Tomlinson you know Tomlinson that left side of the line and in, in general has kind of been um, you know, the one spot that's largely been reliable and, and we know that they're going to be pretty good, um, game in game out, even snap in snap out. Like obviously everybody has, has their bad snaps here and there, but like that left side is largely held up very well over the course of the season. And this was just not Lake and Tomlinson's best day. And, and usually those poor snaps were at the hands of Jonathan Allen. And, and it was, um, you know, I think especially in pass protection, just, uh, had had a number of pressures where he's giving up, you know, really quick pressure to Allen um, and just kind of getting his hand swiped aside, just getting bodied a little bit and, and getting tossed off balance. Um, so, yeah, not not his finest day by any stretch of 18 total pressures. Jonathan Allen had six of them and you had a couple with just some good moves. You had one where Tomlinson oversets. You had another one where Allen just wins with really, really good hands. And I mean, look, he's a good interior defensive lineman I think in in last week's pod I said that Chase Young is getting a lot of the publicity but Jonathan Allen currently may be uh, producing better pass rush snap wins snap to snap um, especially from the interior and so I think he is is, is especially showed that against like in Tomlinson you've got Mike McGlinchey didn't have uh, a didn't have a terrible game by any stretch but he gave up a couple of critical pressures especially at the end of the game he had uh, like third and fourth down near the end of the game third down doesn't give up a pressure but he does get beat and then on fourth down um, I mean Montez Sweat just puts a beautiful teach tape display of speed to power on display and rockets him back into Mullen's lap Um, and it's something that that really McGlinchey's had some trouble with over the course of his career but it, you know, it didn't happen often, but it happened often enough in a critical situation in this game where it really cost the Niners. Yeah, I, I think that was the the tough part here, right? Is like, yeah, he had, uh, I think, three pressures that he gave up um, over the course of the game. One of them, uh, a sort of kind of inexcusable, um, really, play that's like on the backside of a play action boot um, that, that was on a first down. But both of the other ones were in those critical situations, right? It was a third and 12, a fourth and 12. Um, I, I believe is the other ones. And so just, yeah, not, you know, those are the, the, the key situations where, you know, obviously the defense knows you're going to throw in that situation. You're expecting your first round top of the first round tackle, right. To, to be able to hold the zone in those situations. And, um, McGlinchey too, just has a tendency like, and, and again, like he, he wasn't terrible in this game. He's not a terrible player by, by any means, not trying to say any of that, but like he has some ugly fucking snaps and pass protection sometimes like when he loses he loses like bad and and it just looks ugly 
Yeah, it, it's certainly not something that is is going to say that, you know, McGlinchey's batteries in the bottom half of tackles. I think he is still a starting caliber tackle in this NFL, but there's definitely some stuff there that he can clean up. It, you know, I don't know. At this point in his career, I, I do think there's still time, especially if he um, is going to be or try to be a technician. But, you know, maybe this is just who he is at this point. He's a good right tackle who has some lapses sometimes. Um, and, and I think that you could still win with that kind of a tackle. Um, but I, you know, I don't know that this is going to be the, the Mike McGlinchey's, you know, trash podcast cause he's not, yeah. uh, yeah. but I think more so than the offensive line necessarily being bad. I mean, you don't typically hear us talk too much about Lake and Tomlinson, uh, because he's generally pretty good. You don't have to talk about him too much cause he comes in, does his job and, and goes home, uh, except for like the three snaps he misses at the end of a season or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I think this is really like the, the Washington defensive line being very good. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about Chase Young being a, as a prospect everything Nick Bosa was plus athleticism. Yeah. Like Nick Nick, Bo, <laughs> Nick Bosa and Nick Bosa is not a bad athlete, but imagine a better athlete. And the, the play where he's running down uh, Mullins, like he comes from the from the backside on play action, and is he probably has what like sixty pounds on Mullins, oh, and God, is closing least, yeah. down on him <laughs> fast, fast. I mean, he's it, just, he's twice as fast as him. And it's just, it's unbelievable the kind of athlete that he is. Yeah. And he put it on display. He really did. He's, it's freaky, man. Like, it, so like, yeah, plays like that, like the play where he, um, you know, he's left unblocked on the backside of his own runaway from him. Um, and Wilson, the, the, the Wilson fumble, right? Like just fucking decletes Jeff Wilson, like, and sends the ball, for, like, yeah, it, it's freaky to watch a, a human that size move. It's kind of like, uh, it, it's a little reminiscent of like uh, LeBron James in a way where, where it's just yeah. like humans that large shouldn't move that way. It's just, a, it's a, a weird thing to see. Um, yeah. and, and so, yeah, that was Chase Young. And we forget Jonathan Allen was also a highly touted, uh, you know, top of the first round pick as well. Uh, you know, he, this is, this is the defensive line that honestly, it it's like the, the Spider-Man meme Niners looking at Washington and going like, wait, wait, what you huh? all first rounders on the defensive line. And, and that this is just really good players doing good things. And when quarterbacks get under pressure, they do perform worse than they do when they're in a clean pocket. But Mullins is, you know, kind of uniquely bad when he's under pressure. And so we knew this was going to be a bad matchup. Um, but man, I feel like in this game, you really got to see the the problem of Nick Mullins' body failing him. Because I feel like his mind is kind of there. I feel like he's what would happen if you uh, like paralyze someone, but their mind was still able to race. And they're like, no, I need to do this thing. But their body just can't do it. Because, I mean, there are times where he's got wide receivers open. And he just overthrows them. Or can't get the ball out fast enough. And, and this, is like, this is when things are going well for him. When things begin to break yeah. down, all of a sudden he thinks he's fast enough to like get through a pocket or run away from a defender and he just can't do it. And so it's like, I feel like his mind thinks that his body can do things that he just can't. And all of that is exacerbated when he's under pressure. See, I'm, and I'm like, so over this, uh, this, this idea that Mullins, like everybody tries to, you hear the announcers do this, right? This is the thing that 
um, you know, a- announcers are always going to try to spin things positively, right? They they want to um, talk positively about as many players as they can because you know nobody wants to tune into a game and hear you just shit on their team all game long, right? So so you always hear like this effusive praise about every player uh, from from the announcers, and the thing that they always point to with Mullins is like, oh, mentally he may not be the best athlete; he doesn't have the biggest arm. But, but mentally he's there right and it's like no he's fucking not he's he's just bad like like yes i get why you're having to say that you have to find fucking something to point to sure but like he's just he's just bad and, and you see it like yeah the the stuff even from a clean pocket right the inaccuracy shows up and he's missing guys like he he just has a really bad tendency to miss uh, high and in front on these in-breaking routes, right? Which is like, this is the thing in Shanahan's offense that you have to be able to do, right? The, this is what he creates are you know, these open spaces in the middle of the field on in-breaking routes. And, and he just like can't hit them consistently. And even when he gets them into a catchable location, it's usually, um, you know, it, it's, it's limiting that yard after the catch that he's getting. But then, yeah, you get back to the pressure and, and he just becomes non-functional. Like he just completely panics, um, and, and he tries to like, I don't know if he's trying to do too much. If he's just trying to get the fuck out of there and, and not get killed by Chase Young and Jonathan Allen, like who knows, like where, can't where his him. mind's at, but it's, yeah, can't, can't blame him if that's the case, but yeah, it's just, it gets really, really bad. He's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, um, under pressure and it's just, it's ugly to watch. Yeah. And what I feel like he did this game is he waited until the very last minute for something to happen. And then he tried to throw to his outlet almost blind and every time that happened it ended poorly uh in one case it ended in a pick six uh and in multiple cases it just ended with the ball in the dirt or almost getting picked or just in a very very bad spot um so yeah it's just one of those things where it's like he he flails at the end because it's like he can't make his body do the thing that he wants it to do fast enough and then it ends up just (laughs) being late and, and the thing, like, too, that you get in this game, right, and, and I feel like is something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough with quarterbacks, which is is the ball security and the fumbles, right? It's not just the interceptions and the throws, but when you're under pressure, you have to take care of the ball when these guys are coming at you. And you had, of course, uh, you know, the fumble at the end of the first half that Chase Young picks up and takes back for uh, a touchdown. There was another play in the third quarter that nearly turned out to be basically uh, a replay of that where Jonathan Allen is closing from behind and, and just happens to uh, kind of stumble and, and miss really the attempt to knock the ball out. But it's just he's getting pressured. He knows guys are going to be closing in on him from behind and he's just holding the ball out there with one hand, right? And not taking care of it and just leaving it available for somebody to come and, and strip out. And so, um, yeah, it's just an, another element that, um, is, I think often overlooked and is something that he struggles with. Well, let's take a look at the run game, though, because the, the run game was it's really something that the Niners need to win in their current iteration, especially with Mullins at quarterback. It's how they can keep that defensive line at bay. It's how they can prevent them from pinning their ears back and getting right after Mullins to give him enough time to allow him to do whatever he's able to do on a given play. And in this game, it started out promising. The Niners try to get the edge with Debo Samuel, who is the you know the honorary running back that Shanahan's always wanted, and and dude Trent Williams on that opening play absolutely kills the dude. <laughs> it was I I literally I I fired up the tape and like play one. That's the first thing I see. The hell of a way to start, man. Oh God, love it. It's 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 incredible. It is exquisite. 
But then and you've got a, a long run from Jeff Wilson in the first quarter where it, it's essentially a trap play with Juice coming across formation in motion, attacking a bit of the wide nine. But the the game, the, the run game just kind of fizzled after that. And they couldn't seem to get anything going on the ground. And, and this is a, a line where you think to yourself, okay, they're not really a, uh, a super great pass blocking line, but run blocking has always been what they did. And they couldn't even do that against Washington to try to keep themselves in the game. So what happened to the run game that prevented the Niners from staying on schedule and keeping their offense in it? You know, like largely, I think, and, and you know, we'll talk about a, a few, I think, specifics here, but but largely, I, I think it comes back to kind of that initial point at the, the very beginning when we started talking about pass protection. And then this is just a really good Washington defensive line, right? Like, and, and they were making plays and getting the better of a lot of these one-on-one matchups, right? I, I, I think you just saw situations where, um, you know, guys like Chase Young and Jonathan Allen were just winning up front. Like, they were j- just beating guys. And it, it, again, I don't think um, that this is really... Uh, it, like, I don't think it highlights a bigger problem with this offensive line when it comes to run blocking, right? I think this is still, um, you know, one of the best run blocking offensive lines in football, even with some of the, um, you know, injuries that they've dealt with and, and shuffling that they've had to do at kind of that center and right guard spot. I mean, you look at kind of their team run block grade, they're still second in the league right now behind Cleveland. So uh, even after this game. And so I think it's, yeah, like this is, is still a good unit in this regard, but when you're going up against a defensive line in a front like this, that's been so good and, and so good against the run, um, you're just going to, I think, lose some of these matchups and you're not giving the backs enough time. Like the, 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 the backs for the 49ers need to get into space, right? That's where they kind of excel. And you just didn't get that. Things are getting bottled up at the line of scrimmage backs only end up forcing a single missed tackle on run plays throughout the entire game. And, and so when you have that combination, um, you have a run game that's getting bottled up. And I don't think it helps that there is not a quarterback under center that scares defenses much at all. Yeah, I think this is when you see five defensive linemen from Washington on snaps against the 49ers. Like that, that to me screams like, I'm going to go ahead and devote extra resources to stopping the run because I don't need to worry about devoting extra resources to stopping the pass. That's early, so, too. That's like snap two. They're yeah, doing that. Yeah, yeah, because they know that it's going to be probably a, a heavy run plan early to try to keep the game on schedule. I mean, they're playing into the Niners' tendencies by stacking the line early on. And and the reason that the Niners have these tendencies is because they have the quarterback they do currently. Um, you know, they, they have to run the ball in order to keep the chains moving because you can't put it all on Mullins because if you do you see what happens. And so I think when you try to increase the frequency of runs, you also increase the frequency that things can go wrong. Because in any concert that is a run play, everyone has to do their job right for things to go well. And so when you start having to run the ball 20, 30 times, if, if you're ahead, yeah, if you mess up a block and you only get three yards, it's not that big of a deal. When you're trying to use that as the engine of your offense and Kyle Juszczyk is getting blown up <laughs> by Montez Sweat or getting blown up by Chase Young, you're not going to have a successful run play. And all of a sudden you're facing, you know, second and long or third and long. And now it's Mullins who's going to have to convert that. And that's not going to end necessarily well a lot of the time. So, you know, you're, you're going to end up with Jordan Reed, you know, just gesticulating wildly at Mullins, which seems to be something we need to add to the drinking game, by the way. Jordan Reed being very mad at Nick Mullins and walking off the field in anger. I feel um, and so it just it all begins to crumble because teams know the Niners can't throw. And so they load up against the run. And then here you are. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's just kind of been um, brutal to watch Kyle Juszczyk on some of these plays. It's, I, I don't know. Like, not to go go that direction. Uh, we've already... I've got my shit on Mullen's soapbox there, so I'm not going to... I'll save Juice for another time, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, getting his ass whooped out there on some of these plays. This is just the the shit week, apparently, in the NFL. It's a, it's a rough week, man. It's. A, <laughs> I was just talking about shit specifically. From the opening of the pod to Lamar Jackson to Nick Mullins to Kyle Juszczyk, it's just poop everywhere. Yeah, um, I'm just, like, sitting here staring at this, like, note uh, from Juice about how, like, and thinking back to those pass protection snaps. He's got the four four snaps and pass protection and just getting, like, abused on two of them. <laughs> like He got decleated, <laughs> full-on decleated by a blitzing linebacker. It was bad. Yeah, it's very, very bad. Um, so overall, though, is the offensive line bad? You mentioned that you still think this is an offensive line that's one of the best run blocking lines in football. But you look at Nick Mullins and he was pressured on 18 of 49 dropbacks. That's 37 percent, which is just about his season long pressure rate this season. Um, that's ninth worst in the league out of 40 qualifying quarterbacks or, you know, top nine depending on how you look at it <laughs> you're, the, you're the best at something it's just that's getting pressure um so you know how do you is this and i think a lot of what you're seeing on twitter right now is like this offensive line is terrible it's trash the players are bad yada 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 you know is is that the case is this offensive line truly bad or is there something else that's contributing to some of these pressure numbers yeah so i, I mean i think right you you can't let the offensive line completely off the hook by any means i think especially in pass protection they do have some issues right and i think it's been it's been really tough on those interior spots right the the center right guard positions uh especially like you get some of the guys that have been at those spots have had some really rough ugly looking games over the course of the season and and so that's certainly part of it but um when, when you have that and you have some of those struggles um things look a lot worse than they actually are when you have a quarterback like nick mullins who not only doesn't handle pressure well but also it be with the way that he kind of moves in the pocket a lot of times like he creates his own pressure he is responsible for a play ultimately ending up in pressure right because he is moving either out of a clean pocket and, and so you see you know the offensive line everybody up front's holding up well and and he gets kind of spooked and decides to bail and then that changes the angles um you know for the the offensive linemen and the way that they're blocking so defenders basically at that point have uh free breaks from those blocks and and can go and pursue mullins and so that's a, a situation right where the pressure is on him or it could be a situation where he's moving within the pocket, but still he's like stepping up too far in the pocket, which he did, you know, really early on in this game. I think it was like the second, third snap of the game. Um, you see him move up and take a hit. So there, there's just things that Mullins does in the way that he moves in the pocket that that lends itself to creating more pressure. And so it can make things look a lot worse than it really is for the offensive line. And I think we still have to remember that when you talk about Dan Brunskill at center, he's he's gotten he's stabilized the position, we'll say. Not that he's necessarily playing super well, but this is the team's like fifth center or sixth center, if right. I remember correctly. Like you think of Weston Richburg, they had an opt-out and a retirement in the preseason. You've got Fronis Grasu. Um, you've got uh, you know Ben Garland, who is who's still injured. This is not you know the the center that you thought of in your wildest dreams playing at at this position. Colton McKivitz actually had in pass protection at least a decent enough game in this game. And so I think if you can get some stability at center and right guard, 
I think that you've got a first round tackle that on the right hand side, I mean, we talk about him having some issues. Yes, I know with McGlinchey, but I still think that he's a player that can start. I think if you sign Trent Williams or re-sign Trent Williams, you're and Lincoln Tomlinson, you know, we talked about him being generally Mr. Dependable. You've got the pieces there to have a an offensive line that can still do what it needs to do to win games in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like overall, this is not a bad offensive line, right? So I think like especially from the pass protection side of things like you realize there's a lot of bad offensive lines out there like there's a lot of a lot of situations that are not very good where where teams are in really rough shape um from an offensive line perspective so i think from the 49ers like looking at where they're at the, the injuries that they've had to deal with there like where they're at this season and, and how they've performed i think is is you, you couldn't expect them to be i think a whole lot better than they have been considering the circumstances Players that would love to play behind the 49ers offensive line. Deshaun Watson <laughs> would be a player who I think could do wonderful things behind the offensive line. But, yeah. you know, I, I think to, to put a, a point on, on the overall pressure numbers for the offensive line, there, there is something to be said about quarterback pressure being one of the stylistic things that just kind of goes with a quarterback. How often they hold the ball, how long they like to hold the ball, what they do when they hold onto the ball. Do they spin into pressure? Do they bail from pockets early? Those kinds of things, you know, it, it, it kind of gets lumped into that quarterback style. Like, do they throw deep often or do they throw conservatively? Do they put the ball in harm's way? And, and I do think that there is an interplay between what an offensive line allows and what a quarterback can do. But I do think that not enough is put on the quarterback um, in terms of pressure. And I think that Mullins is a quarterback that because of the way that he plays, because of his lack of pocket presence, um, and because he seems to just do very, very bad things when his first read is not open, then you end up holding the ball and you don't have the tools to really get the ball out and you create pressures even though your offensive line is doing their job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Nothing, nothing to add there. And it sucks because this was a, a defensive performance that was really good. Like th yeah. this is still a top 10 defense. If you just go by some of like the, the overall raw numbers, the Niners defense held Washington to 193 total net yards, which is the fewest net yards allowed by the team this season. 95 net yards passing, the fewest allowed by the team this season. 12 total first downs, the fewest allowed by the team this season. Like this was the defense and, and 23 is typically their quote unquote magic number. If they can hold the team to 23 points, Usually the offense is good for 24 and that just was not the case uh, against uh, against this defense. This is it's still it's I'm still flabbergasted by the fact that they lost by eight points and didn't give up a touchdown on the yeah. I should say. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, the Mullins uh, was responsible for more points than, you know, the fucking defense was. Um it, it, it yeah i mean look the the defense i think was obviously um plenty good enough to win this game they did benefit i mean alex smith was trying to do his old team some favors here like in in a big way like he um you know and again he's playing on like a half a calf or something like that um out there and just like doesn't have any legs and it's just scary the whole time he's back there so you're like what the fuck is he doing um but but like when it comes to just how regardless of the reason, right, how he actually performed in this game um, was was very bad. 
Um, and, and there were certainly some missed opportunities like left on the field. I mean, there was a play, uh, you know, kind of later in the first quarter where he um, has a wide open receiver in the middle of the field that he kind of that he looks at first. So the 49ers bring in kind of a heavy blitz, um, leave really the middle of the field wide open. They're playing kind of this like deeper four deep shell. And the only underneath defender is Kerry Hyder dropping out. And, and so there's just all this space in the middle of the field. And, and you see this wide open receiver there that Smith kind of glances at and then ends up moving on and throwing to uh, Terry McLaurin and like one hopping it to him over by the sideline, right? Um, on, on a third and seven play. So that was like a situation where if he finds that guy over the middle of the field, um, that guy's basically one-on-one with Tavarius Moore in the open field between, you know, that's, that's the only thing preventing a touchdown on that play. So it's like there, there were plenty of examples where Smith just was off and, and either missing guys that were open or not finding guys that, that uh, were open that he really should have found that should have been in kind of his progression there. Um, and, and so, yeah, there, there were some missed opportunities for sure. But uh, again, we've talked about um, how this coverage unit especially is like just kind of, you know, you, you have guys, yeah, they have their plays here and there that aren't great, but overall just like the way they're playing as a unit um, has been very good. And they, they force a lot of difficult throws and um, that they're doing enough to give that kind of makeshift defensive line and, and whatever blitz package that they're bringing, uh, you know, enough time to try to affect the passer. So we're going to talk about some of the wrinkles that we saw from Robert Sala's defense against the Washington football team. And we'll talk a little bit about Jason Verrett as well. Uh, but before we do that, we're first going to hear a bit from our sponsors because the better rivals podcast is brought to you by indeed 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over much like this season. Three games left. Thank God. Dear God. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore, which I'm sure is reputable just based on their name. Comscore sounds Sounds official. legit. Yeah. yeah. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a shortlist of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. I feel like they should have named that speed dating, like career speed dating. That's what it sounds like. It yeah. sounds like just a virtual room. You get 30 seconds with a candidate. Decide whether or not you want to go on a date. Go. Indeed, it like, does sound like that. Get out of here, David. This is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mute your mic. <laughs> if you keep up this bullshit. I'm sorry. You've been sitting on that pun for 14 weeks. You know, it just really came to me. Yeah, it just... Uh, this, the opportunity googly googly. presented itself like, look, I'm just here to take the opportunities I'm given. Well, right now, Indeed is offering our listeners, except for you, David, a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The pod is also brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. 
I feel like this was written about Nick Mullins. Once they hit, once they hit the lack of natural, like he should be the Pepsi spokesperson is all I'm saying. <laughs> but instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch, because nothing beats cracking a cold Pepsi on a warm day, wearing your elegant tank top, available in the Better Rivals store on Tee Public, and reminiscing about the time where the Niners had a quarterback that could throw the ball and be functional under pressure. It's, it's just it's great to reminisce with the hard, young ones. It's hard to remember that. Talk about how you had to walk up uh, snowy mountains two miles a day to get to school. You know, I'll back in the past. Ways. That's what I'm saying. Uh, in a tank top, no less, because that's how you used to roll. Uh, because Pepsi's a refreshment you need to power through any game day. Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. So the defense couple wrinkles, one new wrinkle. We have six total dropbacks from defensive linemen in this game. I feel like we should have been, I only caught a few of them during the game when I was tweeting the rules of the drinking game. And I was like, you got to drink, drop back, drink for defensive linemen. But there were six. The reason there were so many defensive line, uh, defensive linemen dropping back in coverage in this game specifically is because we saw a new little defense from Robert Sala. It's one where he played four deep defenders and four underneath defenders, which doesn't sound weird unless you realize that that only leaves you with three defenders left to rush the passer. And that's exactly what the 49ers did often. They would only rush three, they, and then they had basically four deep, four under to try to stymie the, that powerful Washington passing game. So, and, and it worked by and large, but it was a new wrinkle that we hadn't seen from Salah so far this season. Yeah, I mean, so the like the the defense at large worked. This specific wrinkle itself, I don't know that I would say that that it worked. I mean, so really, all that it is is it's just their normal quarters look, like that that they play all the time. And then you just imagine a defensive lineman dropping out and sitting at five yards and being absolutely worthless. Um, that is pretty much what happened there. there. There were a couple times. I mean, a lot of these plays actually came on one drive in the second quarter, and and there were. Uh, you know, like a couple of those snaps that maybe you can argue down once things got like down tight into the red zone and they were down like inside the, uh, like the 10, 15 area, um, that like maybe they're getting in a throwing window or something like that, making Smith think twice before he lets the ball go. But like, um, yeah, it, it was honestly, it's just kind of a weird thing that like, that's not, I, I don't think that it's really helpful to you like if anything you just end up in a situation where there's like a defensive lineman trying to cover somebody he can't cover and and just doing a bad job at it the only the only logic i can think of is that you're you know that alex smith is not really a threat to run and so you you're hoping that you can kind of squeeze more areas of the field and get a turnover or uh get to him with three but i'm not usually a huge fan of just rushing three in the nfl like this isn't, yeah. uh, I know the, in college you can have some of the tight front stuff, which is a little bit different, but it still resulted in at least the interception that Jason Verrett got. So in that regard, it was at least quasi successful um, because on Jason that Verrett, play, hold on, hold on. Before we get to Verrett, which was great just to, to say, so Kinlaw is like, I'm watching the player right now. Uh, Kinlaw is the guy that drops out. He ends up, uh, you know, trying to match up with McKissick who just blows by him like underneath on, on a little shallow crossing route. So like, if he throws it to McKissick instead of forcing this ball downfield where Varek can, can pick it, like Javon Kinlaw is fucking lost. Like he's just stumbling over himself. So it's like, 
that's what it looks like most of the time where it's just like that guy kind of dropping out trying to find somebody and failing because he's a fucking defensive lineman who can't cover running backs or receivers or tight ends or anyone alex smith the most conservative thrower in the nfl would never guess would never guess that we try to bottle up his running backs with defensive linemen it's just it's 40 chess is what it is david <laughs> it's 40 chess hey it resulted in a jason Verrett interception anyway. And I got to use the and I got to use the phrase oily hips uh, because Jason Ferret, you know, he opens one way, opens another way. He sees two verticals, eyes on the quarterback, breaks on the ball, shows some ball skills. It's uh, it's Jason Ferret season, my friend. Um, and I mean, at this point, I am I think that, you know, I, I was kind of waiting to see on Sherman to see whether or not he kind of got better with his health as the season went on. Um, we are now three games of him being back and I am fully in the sign Jason Verrett camp. Um, I think Jason Verrett's the guy that you need to target this offseason, um, hands down. Richard Sherman was a wonderful quarterback as recently as last year. Richard Sherman should retire right now. That's that's how he has looked um, since he's come back from injury. And, and who knows? Like Maybe it's just the injury, but like he's not getting any better. He's not getting any more athletic. He's not getting any more healthy. Like... Like, these are just things that have been a problem now. And he, he just has too many fucking lower body injuries that has sapped all of his athleticism where he wasn't even a fantastic athlete to begin with. Um, he, he looks rough out there. He looks real rough. Do you think that a move to safety is something that will or could extend his career? And do you think that that move to safety could or should happen in San Francisco? No and no. Yeah, so I, I think like, his athleticism is to a point where he's just like, he can't cover ground. Like, and, and you see on the, and like, he doesn't look like he feels comfortable. Um, when he's, you know, you look at those snaps where he is playing safety. And, and so usually what they've been doing is he just ends up, they play cover one and he's the whole player. So rather than being the deep free safety, that's over the top of everything, he just tries to kind of sit in the middle of the field and, and use, you know, um, you know, the, the, the intelligence that he has to try to like, find uh route concepts that he can jump right like try to read the route concepts see if he can get to a spot um where he can in, kind of jump around and, and maybe make playing a ball but like the thing is is he can't get to those spots like you just see him like he ends up kind of just floating to nowhere um like he's so used to in in his like you know playing cover three cover four and especially now where he's playing so far off of guys on there and he's just getting really deep into that kind of like shuffle that he does to, to really stay over the top of things. He kind of gets into that mode just by default. And he ends up like dropping way out of the whole area and, and just taking himself out of the play. And so um, like, would he get better if he, if he were doing that every single snap and that's what he was practicing and, and all that stuff, I'm sure. But I, I just don't think that he, um, athletically is at a point where he can be useful. Like even if his mind wants to get there, his body can't. And I think that the other responsibilities that safety would have in his case wouldn't necessarily go all that well. You know, you think if you're going to play, you know, a too high shell and rotate one safety down into the box or something like that, like I just, I don't know that he's necessarily going to hold up there. And then you, maybe you leave him as a result, super deep all the time. Then, you know, all of a sudden you limit your, what you can do from a defensive perspective it just I don't know that it's necessarily a move because his athleticism is so gone. I think he's he can still, you know, someone's going to pay him a lot of money to do the thing that he does on the left side of the field and use the sideline and and he'll be OK. He'll be good enough. But um, if someone's I think paying is, him a lot of money, they're not watching these games. 
that they are not watching these games since he. There's always the like, Jets, my friend. There's it always is, the Jets. It is bad. Like it's like honestly, it's like it's like really sad to watch. Like you hate seeing great players like just reach that point where they're just no longer useful. Like and, and that's where he's at right now. It just looks, it's painful watching him. Yeah, I mean, it might be painful playing at this point for him. He actually sure. mentioned a yeah. potential transition for, to safety uh, when he was talking to Mayoko on that pod because he was talking about, but it did seem like he was maybe feeling like he was nearing the end. But someone's going to pay. I feel like someone's going to pay for Sherman. Um, and I feel like they'll pay north of $10 million a year. No chance. No chance that happens. I, I don't think that the play on the field merits it. But man, I feel like there's there's a sucker born every minute. We'll see. We shall see. Uh, but let's get to the quick hits. Uh, let's pour some out for the fallen homies. Uh, players that were once uh, showing some promise and now are basically afterthoughts. <laughs> some explicitly. Jarek McKinnon. We had an official Better Rivals beer for Jarek McKinnon, David. He, we, we had a history of, of just scouring the, the absolute landscape of running backs the Niners could sign. And we identified Jarek McKinnon way back before the Niners signed him. And turns out, he was their target. They paid him money. He came to San Francisco. We were so excited. And now he gets zero snaps despite the fact that he's healthy. At least he got that money. You know what? Good he did for get that you. Money. Get that money. I'm glad he got the money because I think all NFL players should get way more money than they get. Yep. Uh, hell, it's not mine. Uh, but yeah, it's just zero snaps, fully healthy. Shanahan said after the game that we are focusing on Wilson and, uh, and Mostert. As the running backs, That's the so. the uh, we're on to Cincinnati of running back comments. Yeah, basically, and likewise for Tevin Coleman. Tevin yeah. Coleman uh, was playing special teams. This this is where Tevin Coleman is at his uh, at, at this juncture in his career. So we'll see where he ends up next season because I don't think it will be with the Forty Niners. Uh, Trent Taylor, another healthy scratch. Uh, at this point, you've got Brandon Ayuk, who's going to be the explosive punt returner, uh, or really anyone else. But Trent Taylor serves no role. Richie James has overtaken that kind of shifty, quick guy in the slot. And and so I think this is going to be Trent Taylor's last season as a 49er. We're going to hang the hard hat up on the wall one last time yep. for, uh, for Trent Taylor. But We'll always have those hard hat days. We and will by that, I mean have... those five games when Jimmy Garoppolo was first traded, and that's pretty much it. Correct. Five games. Hey, sometimes it's a glorious five games. Short and sweet. You don't get <laughs> you don't get the sweet without the sour. Uh, and I guess we're at the sour part. Uh, but let's talk about Ayuk's hands real quick. Because he had a play where he got hit in the middle of the field before the ball got there. Yeah. Still managed to get the ball. Uh, there was one play where he is in a full-on baseball slide and reaches backwards and catches the ball. He just he's able to catch the ball. And, and yes, his hands aren't perfect. He had uh, a drop in this game. And I think in the last game, he also had an interception where, uh, you know, the ball kind of bats up and has a couple of unfortunate bounces. But overall, Ayuk is everything that's advertised. And it's really, really fun to see him play. It is, man. Like it, he's one of the, the the few bright spots that are left right now. I mean, fucking Fred Warner went out in this game, and I'm just like, why? What is even the point of life anymore? Like, I know. I said um, the same thing. I was like, don't take him from me. <laughs> I is all that I had, and and now he's gone. Uh, but no, Brandon Ayuk is you know really offensively, especially once you know Debo goes out. It's really those two are the guys offensively that that are fun to watch, right? They're like they're the ones that are doing things and and able to create and. Yeah, I think Ayuk, 
um, as far as what he's been able to do as a rookie has been, you know, really impressive. Like it's not just, he didn't come in and just do, you know, the, the screen game and the jet sweep stuff and, and basically just be a Debo light, right? Like he is, um, doing stuff that's down the field, the intermediate stuff, deep shots here and there when, whenever he can get a quarterback that'll actually fucking take a chance to do it. Um, yeah, it, it's been great. Like it's been really, it, it leaves you really excited about his prospects for, you know, the, the future and what he can develop into. He's missed some time this season. And even despite missing some time, his 660 receiving yards on the season are fifth in franchise history for most receipt for most receiving yards by a rookie. And not to disparage Debo at all, because, you know, we still love Debo and Debo is very, very good at what he does. But the nature of Ayuk's yards have not been the same as Debo, where your average depth of target is like negative two yards. He is running down the field routes. Uh, and he, he does, Ayuk does have a couple of those behind the, uh, uh, behind the line passes or screens and stuff like that. But it's mainly been in the intermediate areas of the field. And in this game, he had 10 receptions which tied the franchise's rookie single-game record for number of receptions in one game. Jerry Rice, predictably, had 10 receptions versus the Rams in 1985. And running back Earl Cooper had 10 receptions against New Orleans in 1980. Uh, So, I mean, Ayuk is... uh, I can't wait until he gets uh, an actual quarterback to throw him the ball when Shanahan feels like he can actually throw the ball and not just run the ball down someone's throat. It's going to be great to see him and Debo uh, and whomever is going to be trotting out as a third receiver for the 49ers when they've got an actually full-grown passing offense. And and just to put quickly a number on that depth target stuff, you know, with Debo, um, Debo Samuel averaged at the target 2.2 yards. Um, which is right down the the only the only um, players on the 49ers this season that have at least 10 targets that are lower than that are running backs, right? Which are um, obviously getting a lot of their targets behind the line of scrimmage or, or right there at. Brandon Ayuk, highest on the team at 10 and a half yards, right? So the only other player even uh, in, in double digits there is actually Richie James, and he has a quarter of the targets that, that Ayuk does. So um, he is their guy that, that they're going to target further down the field. There was a punt in this game against Washington that really bothered me. San Francisco (laughs) decided to punt from their own 41-yard line on fourth and one with four minutes remaining in the fourth quarter while losing 15 to 23. So there's a Twitter follow called the Surrender Index, uh, and it's a project, I think, done by SB Nation, but they they basically have a a quick model that, that tries to put these decisions in context and they have a surrender index uh and in this case this play ranked in the 98th percentile of cowardly punts this season and the 97th percentile of all punts since 2009 this was an incredibly conservative call incredibly we've talked about shanahan's conservatism uh, a couple of times this year and even a little bit in the last year and and we talked about how his uh, his calls get more aggressive the better his offense is. And in this case, you might think to yourself, well, you are going to punt the ball back to this offense who has two quarterbacks with three functioning legs. And, you know, why the hell not? You know you can stop them. They, at that point, they had like, you know, two point something yards per pass. Overall, their EPA is negative. Why not punt the ball back? You're going to get the ball back anyway, and you go back and score. Um, why was this such a cowardly punt, David? 
there's fucking four minutes left and you're trailing by eight points and you're at mid, you're at midfield. Like, I, I don't know another scenario where it's, it's more of a no, it's like the only more no brainer situation where you go for it on fourth and one is fourth and one from the fucking one yard line when you're at the goal line. Right. Like that, that it's just, it doesn't make any sense um, to be in a situation where you're trailing um, and, and you have, you know, the most convertible of fourth down attempts, you're, you're just punt. You're literally punting the tough decision down the road. And so, you know what you end up get? Yes. So you get the punt, um, and, and you end up, uh, pinning them at the one yard line, which again is like really a lot of luck. Like you're, you're relying on a bounce of the ball that could have easily taken that ball into the end zone. It's a touchback, right? So you, you, you get a stroke of luck, you pin them at the one, you get your punt, and then what do they do on the next drive? They have to go for it on a fourth and 12. Would you rather go for it on the fourth and one or the fourth and 12? Like you, you're literally just moving these decisions later in the game um, when when you don't have time to adjust if you don't get it, right? Like there's no coming back from the fourth and 12 with under two minutes left where if you, you go for the fourth and one and get it, you can still get a stop and have a chance to get the ball back, right? So it's just, uh, it's a really, really fucking dumb decision. And I mean, ultimately, if you trust the de- if you trust your own defense because the Washington offense is so bad, then why not go for it? Yeah, Be- because you're going to stop them anyway. Uh, and so, if if you're punting because you trust the defense, then that logic still applies. If you go for it and you don't make it, um, but if you go for it and you do make it, then you're in a much better position to score to potentially tie the game and still give yourself enough time to do something else if Washington manages to put together some kind of a drive. So it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what Shanahan's aggressiveness is like if he manages to get a good quarterback sometime soon, or even if Jimmy Garoppolo comes back next season and is able to give us a full season of whatever Jimmy Garoppolo can give us, what his aggressiveness is next season. But finally, in the quick hits, which haven't been so quick today, but whatever it's our whatever. fucking pod we can do whatever we want uh <laughs> the, the the broadcaster had some real trouble with names uh yeah and i, and I don't know his name but uh it was greg f- jennings oh was it yeah which <laughs> i remember because i like i remember having the same like i don't this guy doesn't sound familiar no like, he doesn't sound who right is this annou- announcer right and like they they went up to a shot in the booth of him and i saw greg jennings i was like oh shit i know greg jennings was calling games but yeah it was uh it's rough. I get it. Look, w- w- I am I am not one he to, who's going to cast aspersions <laughs> on someone who mispronounces names. Okay, that that yep. is not. This is not where this is going. Where where this is going though is that his particular mispronunciation of a name may be the most amazing thing ever. He called a Kello Witherspoon a Kulo Witherspoon. Now, in Spanish, that would be a culo, which is literally an ass. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like basically just talking shit about a Keller Witherspoon by calling him an ass. To, he was just trying to describe a Keller Witherspoon's play. His play style is yeah. Akulo, is really what it is. It's Akulo Witherspoon. And that is my fucking favorite. I love it. <laughs> I am only going to refer to him as Akulo Witherspoon uh, because of Denali, three more games until he's cut. He's, he's played like ass, is really what it is. It's Akulo. It's, been, it's phenomenal. Incredible. Uh, all right, David, we uh, we went a little long in the Washington game. I feel like we've got just about 10 minutes left to talk a bit about Dallas. Um, and I mean, I'm thinking about this Dallas game and this Dallas game doesn't the, the Niners aren't favored, which they shouldn't be at this point. I, I do feel like Dallas is 
in one way a winnable game because their defense is so bad. But at the same time, I still feel like they have, you know, enough of a pass rush to make things uncomfortable for Nick Mullins. Um, but but this is going to be one of those things where if the Niners can figure out how to run on this Dallas defense, it's going to be interesting. But in the battle of quarterbacks, I'm still going to take the red rifle. So it, it's and I think the offensive weapons for the the Cowboys are still going to put them over the top. But again, again, the, the defense for the Niners has been playing really well so far. This is one of those games where like the matchups, I feel like break this game even or maybe even tilt in some ways to the Niners. What do you think happens here with with a game against two teams that have fallen from what I guess could be called glory um, <laughs> and now are getting flexed out of prime time? Yeah, dude. Uh, I, I mean, I think so, you know, looking at the 49ers offense and in that side, I mean, it it really should like if, if things are going to line up for them to be able to, to get back to having another productive offense and, you know, you, you let them do some of the things that they um, really want to do, um, you know, as in terms of running the ball and, and getting the ball out quickly to kind of some of these easier first read throws for, for Nick Mullins. Um, they should have opportunity to do that. I mean, Dallas basically is, is one of the worst defenses in football and, and they're the only element of that defense that is even respectable right is the pass rush i mean the coverage has been bad the run defense has been bad and and so those are things right that i, I think spell good news for any offense but especially for the 49ers right we, we know that no matter what they're going to run the ball um heavily unless they just happen to get down by by a bunch and so doing that against a, a defense that is very much not Washington's defense and in that front um, should certainly help things for for a run game that's been really struggling lately. Um, and and then you hope that you can get the ball out of Mullins' hands quick enough um, with the stuff that they're going to do from play action and and just the things that they're going to be able to scheme up to get guys open quickly before that pass rush has much of a chance to get anything going and even um, you know potentially take. Uh, what might be their their loan take advantage of like their loan um, advantage defensively right for for Dallas um, so I, I don't know I think like it it seems to be a game where they can kind of control things offensively with the the things we know they want to do um, and that should put them in a largely positive game script it's the Mike Nolan revenge game Mike Nolan's going to get his revenge if he if he sticks around long enough to be the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys uh, because he, I mean, look, his, his defense, I'm an Alden. It's the Alden Smith revenge game at this point. He's got, he's going to have a little extra motivation at this point. But if anything, I think that this is, this is a game where if, if Washington was a predictably bad matchup, I feel like because of what they did well, it just, it, it completely destroyed what the Niners could do. Well, I feel like this is a game that the Niners are going to play close. This is going to this is going to be an interesting game where the defense I think is going to do well enough. You're going to get to see Ceedee Lamb if you were a big Ceedee Lamb proponent. You're going to get to see what he does against the Niners. Um, I think it, it's one of those games where an individual may go off. Like I could see Ceedee Lamb or Gallup or someone like that going off. And, and actually, the more I think about their wide receivers, the more I'm thinking maybe it, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the the defensive coverage unit performs versus a particular individual because I think Gallup or Amari Cooper or C.D. Lamb matched up against Richard Sherman, they're going to win. Sherman is going to likely see Cooper or Gallup on the outside. And both of those players are going to be able to do um, bad things to Sherman just based on where he is right now. 
um, in the slot. Maybe K1 Williams comes back this week, maybe. And if he does, then, you know, you'll get to see him against CD Lamb. But CD Lamb, I think, is uh, is going to be very, very good. So I don't know. I, I, even, even as I think about the defensive matchup, I don't know how well it's going to go if Andy Dalton has time to get the ball out. Um, and that's going to be a big if because the the offensive line for Dallas is similarly injured. They're on, you know, they're like third, fourth, fifth, sixth tackle. And and so maybe that's this is the game where the, the vaunted Niners pass rush actually comes to save the coverage unit as opposed to the other way around, which is what has happened uh, all season so far. Yeah, I, I mean, that as far as areas that I would be most worried about, it is certainly how... Um, you know, the, the coverage unit can hold up against the, the Dallas receivers. I mean, now whether, um, those guys can actually get the ball, um, you know, (laughs) effectively, uh, on a consistent basis is another story, but yeah, I mean, you look at it, Sherman, I mean, they're, they're pretty much back to playing him. Um, you know, when he's not lining up in his random snaps at safety or somewhere else, like, uh, playing on the left side and, and just kind of staying over there. I think he's at like, uh, on the left side, like 85% of his snaps, um, so far this season and Amari Cooper is, is the guy that lines up on the right side, um, you know, as the right wide receiver. So going up against Sherman most often, and I think again, athle- athletically, it's just not going to happen. And so I think the the thing you can do is, and, and it'll be interesting to see, I mean, I would, I would fully expect Dallas's offense to, to try to do this a lot. I mean, when you know, Sherman is going to be on one side of the field, um, the way that the 49ers run so many of their coverages, whether it's cover three or whether it's cover four, if you get a three by one set, right? If you, if you put that trips side away from Sherman, you basically dictate that he's going to man up on the single receiver side. Like it's just, it's what they do. Like it's, it's pretty much automatic um, that those weak side defenders are are, are essentially just going to match up with the one receiver. And then usually you've got a linebacker that's going to match on the back to that side. And so if I'm Dallas, like I'm lining up Amari Cooper as that single receiver side uh, on the right side against Sherman as often as possible until you, you basically have to force them to change up their coverages and and do something that they may not necessarily want to do. And so, um, you know, whether they do that or not, I mean, teams, I don't feel like have been taking enough advantage of, of that, um, you know, since Sherman has been back. So who knows whether Dallas will will be a team to do it, but that is something that I would be concerned with. Yeah, and and I think that when you look at the player, I mean, Andy Dalton is not a he's not a fantastic quarterback at this point in his career, nor really maybe ever uh, outside yeah. of maybe like one or two years. But I think that he still ha- is capable enough to get the ball to a receiver in those situations. Um, and if the Niners can't get pressure on Andy Dalton, then maybe the matchups do tilt in favor of the Cowboys. They, they are favored, not by a lot, but they are favored in this game. Um, and so at this point, it's just you're kind of, you know, we're back into you know, hopefully climbing up the draft charts at this point. Uh, the Niners are five. Uh, they've got five wins, right? So where are they in terms of draft order? There is a wonderful site called Tankathon. Uh, and Tankathon sounds like exactly where I want to go. The Niners are five and eight. They have currently, they sit in 12th uh, just after Detroit. And so if they lose, they go to five and nine. Man, could you could you imagine a six and ten year uh, like last? I, I think that we we were talking about their floor being somewhere near like, you know, eight wins or something like that. But that, of course, assumed all health. We'll talk about I that, mean, I'm sure, I, at the I end of the year. I didn't assume all health, but it assumed some health. Like yeah. some health would have been fucking super. 
Yeah, exactly. But at this point, you are going your 12th. If you lose another game, you know, Dallas is currently four and nine. That puts them at five and nine. It ties you with Dallas at five and nine. This could be a pretty interesting slash pivotal game in terms of draft order. Um, Because, I mean, it does feel like the Jets, the Jags, Cincy, they've got kind of one, two and three locked up. I feel like other teams that are bad enough to stay in that area, like Houston, Atlanta, maybe Carolina. So there are 10 teams right now that have either four or five wins. So that's a that's a big jump from either four to what, 15? Does that make yep. it 14, 15? Um, yeah. So so like what happens over these last three weeks is it, it could really be the difference uh, in, in draft position from, you know, another top five pick. If you're talking about a team that loses out and gets a little bit of help or um, if they manage to, you know, win a game or two in here, um, picking in, in the middle of the first round. Yeah, it's a big deal because the the closer up to that top five area you get, the closer you get to a player like uh, Zach Wilson, if you want to draft a quarterback um, or, you know, another defensive lineman. So and <laughs> don't, don't don't fucking say that. Not this week, damn it. Not this week. I don't need that. Oh, my goodness. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals, David. Tell them about the Patreon. Yeah, don't don't waste your time finding me on Twitter. Uh, I don't even have the app on my phone anymore. That's just kind of where I'm at. Uh, Patreon.com slash Better Rivals. Um, go check that out. Buy us a beer. We're, we're putting up videos um, pretty much every week as, as long as um, random schedule bullshit with us both being parents of newborns don't get in the way. Um, but yeah, it, it really gives us a chance to provide some video examples and some extra context for some of the things that we talk about on the pod. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, go Niners. David, football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. I wonder if they'll let you bet uh, if they'll let you bet on the Niners championship odds for next year. That would be uh, not a bet I would make. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. <laughs> Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's blue wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts.